News Talk 1110-993-WBT. Monitoring the Kyle Rittenhouse trial. The jury is still in deliberations. I guess they've asked to see a video. They're arguing over the drone video that came in to the trial, like, uh, what, Thursday or something? This super clear, high-res drone video from the FBI that apparently just made it available at this late date. Um, And the defense attorneys are uh, seeking a mistrial with prejudice. Uh, They filed some uh, motion this morning. I read through it. Uh, And one of the components was, first, they they cited... uh, the jury or sorry, the, the, the district attorney who had uh, tried to uh, pursue lines of questioning that the judge had previously said not to. And uh, remember the big blow up last week over the ADA's uh, behavior. So there was that component, but then there was this drone video component and they're arguing now over whether they got the clear file or a compressed file because the compressed file doesn't show the clarity of, the uncompressed file and who did the compression and whether that came from the DA or not or whatever. And so they're arguing over technology, which I don't know, like watching these lawyers and the judge debate compression on digital files. It's like, I don't know. It's like monkeys with calculators here. They don't know what they're done. It's, it's bad. So we're not going to join that in progress. 704-570-1110 704-570-1110 and uh, 1-800-WBT-1110. Let me go over here to Stan. Hello, Stan. Welcome to the show. Hi. What's going on? Yeah, I wanted to know if you knew something. In, in the CIA, the intelligence is gathered. They make the assessment, and then they report their assessments to the actual government. So in reality, they can make that look like anything they want to make it look like. So here's my question. I'm going to phrase this in a question. Did Bush lie, or did they lie to Bush? Did Bush lie, or did they lie? You mean on the weapons of mass destruction? Yeah, well, no, no, in other words, no words who, who's controlling the narrative? So here's my, I think what we need to have is we need to have the CIA being run by the executive branch. In other words, they have somebody that they trust, whoever he because he got a history with them that he trusts, and then they, all the information flows through people that actually with the president because the commander-in-chief is deciding when we use armed forces, and if he if there's questions as to whether or not he's getting accurate information, what are we doing? Yeah, I mean this is the this is the tension, right? That you've got. I mean, because if you put if you put the president in charge of these intel agencies, how do you protect against overreach and abuse? If you uh, don't put them in charge of it directly, right? Then you have the situation you just described. So, like, this is the you know utopia. Perfection is not one of the options available to us, right? Like, and that's that's part of the problem. There's a man-made construct, government. It's a man-made construct, and so it's going to be fallible. It's going to have problems, and so we try to guard against those things as best we can. So, yeah, I mean, I, I'm very concerned about the the way the intelligence uh, community has run ops on apparently, you know, Americans and American administrations. Like, this is a problem. Absolutely. I don't know well, what to do it, about it. Did not Chuck Schumer actually say yeah. that Donald Trump had better not cross the intel community? They'll get him. And so in reality, we look to the president, and they always tell us he's the most powerful person in the world. Is he really? Yeah. I. Well, yeah, probably. Because if, if the president came out and said, hey, these CIA people are doing all of this stuff, I mean, he could take a bunch of people down. 
right? Well, he's got the bully pulpit. Yeah, he's got the bully pulpit. So, yeah, maybe that's what, you know, maybe something like that would happen if you had a president that became aware of those sorts of things. But, yeah, I mean, it's, it, I'm sure it's scary if you're going to try to cross some of these agencies. But on the other hand, I mean, I think the Trump administration really did prove, I mean, the last five years or so really has proven that our, quote, elite in this country, they're, a lot of them are just garbage. Uh, they're just, they're not very good. <laughs> what they yeah. do so i'm not sure there's a whole lot to be worried about i mean if this is the best if this was the best they could do like it only works because people are willing to work with them and ignore the stuff that is obvious right so yeah yeah hey, i enjoy your show and you're probably the most logical person on the air well thanks Dan. i appreciate that i try to be i try to just Thank follow you. where the evidence goes and you know, i i am i try to remain open to persuasion but uh, I also kind of just look at the facts, and sometimes, like, and this is the other thing, and to, like, to the earlier caller, I think it was Jimmy who asked about the, you know, JFK assassination. It, 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 it's the same thing with faith. And this is why, when I talk about the lack of credibility and trust in our institutions, that, that is, it's a question of faith. Because at some point, you can't know all there is to know, whether it's about God, religion, or if it's about a particular agency, institution, the entire government, or whatever. Like, you cannot possibly know all there is to know. And so at some point, you have to place your faith in, you know, a choice. And that's kind of what faith is. Based on the available information, you make a choice, and you put your faith there. And the problem is, is when enough people hit, when you have a critical mass of citizens that now no longer have the faith in the credibility of an institution, it crumbles. The problem is you have people inside those institutions that are very accustomed to their positions and their pay and their power, and they're not so interested in having that institution crumble around them because then they lose that stuff. So I I don't purport to be an expert on JFK, (laughs) the assassination, uh, I just I remember I looked into it like a long time ago, probably like 20 years ago, because it came up in a debate, probably after 9-11. And oh, by the way, I've got stuff on that. The 9-11 truther movement, a harbinger of today's paranoid politics, been sitting on this story since August. And we'll get to that uh, also uh, because Alex Jones's uh, uh, defamation case in Connecticut did not go his way as has not the other cases against him. This is Joe. Hello, Joe. Welcome to the show. What's up, Joe? Well, thank you for taking my call. Yeah, well, sure. First of all, as far as the drone video is concerned, when I watch the drone video and then I watch the other videos, I would think, um, you know, there's lots of times... Let me back up. So the prosecution argued that he had uh, every option to go a different way, to run a different way. Well, you know, having a bird's eye view and having a ground view are two completely different things, especially when you're under duress, right? Correct. So that's the thing I'd say. The other thing I'd say is, you know, you said faith in institutions. It's very difficult to have faith in our 
uh, due process and the court system and being, uh, you know, properly represented and jurors and all of that, because that hasn't changed much. But what has changed is technology. So you've got a president who called out this young man. Mm-hmm. And so everybody knows that. Everybody knows that, and it's out there, and Twitter's out there, and everybody's speaking their piece on it, and there's people saying they want him to go to jail for the rest of his life, and and prominent people. Mm -hmm. And we didn't have that years ago when we established this, this process. And so somewhere along the line, I believe, well, for me personally, I've lost a little bit of faith in how we do things, how people can be represented and get a fair trial. You can move uh, jurisdictions and change jurisdictions, but now with technology, jurisdictions, we're all in the same jurisdiction. No, I got you, Joe. I appreciate the call. It's a fair point. I would submit just uh, that uh, back, you know, 100 years ago, your world was much smaller and so the town where the crime was committed, everybody gossiped anyway. If the mayor of the town said something, it would be the equivalent. You're getting tried in that town. So it just, I mean, it's a bigger pool, no doubt, but um, it's a bigger town, no doubt. But I think the same sort of dynamics still apply. I think the problem is you have way more terrible, awful people that now get to participate in the town square yelling and screaming right so that tomorrow starts the uh, charlotte auto show it's true tomorrow thursday and friday from 12 p.m until 9 p.m and then uh saturday 10 a.m to 9 p.m and sunday 10 a.m to 6 p.m it's at the charlotte convention center uh 28 years 28 years the 28th annual charlotte auto show at the convention center uh tons of manufacturers they're gonna have the latest makes and models uh, you can actually shop for cars there. It's family friendly. Ton of events for the kids, and uh, you get like luxury lane is back. Electric Avenue is back. I think you got to say it like that too, like the song, right? Isn't it the some 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 electric Ave? Right, that's the song. Yeah. Um, also, go to charlotteautoshow.com. You can get all the details and tickets. I'll be down there. So uh, tomorrow. All right. So a Connecticut judge found InfoWars host Alex Jones, Alex Jones, liable by, by the way, just a, uh, a heads up here, full disclosure, not a fan of Alex Jones, not a fan. Um, I believe him to be a huckster, a grifter. I don't believe uh, he believes any of the things that he says. Uh, I think he's basically in a supplement selling business. That's his job. He sells supplements. He goes in, he takes over companies that sell, that make supplements and then rebrands them and then uses his uh, audience, his radio show, or I don't even know, does he have the radio show anymore? But he uses the show as a platform to sell his supplements. Uh, that's my opinion of Alex Jones. So uh, you can have a different one. I'm not telling you to have my opinion of Alex Jones, but that's mine. So he was found liable by default in a defamation lawsuit brought by the parents of the kids that were killed in the Sandy Hook Elementary School shooting over his theories that the massacre was a hoax. Theories that he now says are not true. The ruling by the judge, who cited 
Jones's refusal to abide by court rulings or turnover evidence means that a jury will determine how much in damages Jones should pay to the families. Shortly after the judge's decision, Jones went on his show and said that he has been deprived of a fair trial. Judge Barbara Bellis took the rare step of issuing a default judgment in the case because she said Jones and his companies, Infowars and Free Speech Systems, uh, had failed to turn over documents, including records that might have showed how and if they had profited from spreading misinformation about the school shooting and other mass killings. Um, a, a Jones's attorney says they're going to appeal. His lawyers have asked that Bellis be removed from the case, the judge, saying she's not been impartial. The jury uh, has the same outcome, or sorry, the ruling is the same outcome as a jury trial that determined the case in favor of the families as well. A jury is now going to determine the damages there. Um, families of the Sandy Hook shooting victims say that they have been subjected to harassment and death threats from Alex Jones's followers because of the hoax conspiracy pushed on InfoWars. They sued Jones and his companies for defamation and infliction of emotional distress in the hearing on damages before juries expected to be held next week. He has lost multiple cases now uh, about this. Um, and he, as I said, he has since acknowledged that the school shooting did in fact occur. This is the story at the AP by Dave Collins. <clears throat> now, I bring that up to bring this up, and I've had this for a while. Um, James Meggs, writing at City Journal. He's the co-host of How Do We Fix It podcast. He's also the former editor of Popular Mechanics, the magazine. And he has a very, very lengthy piece called 9-11 Truther Movement, A Harbinger of Today's Paranoid Politics. And he talks about how, because anybody who has followed any of the 9-11 trutherism stuff, the truther movement, um, they know the role that popular mechanics plays in the 9-11 truther context. And so he talks about this, like I said, at great length in this piece. He says that the 9-11 truthers he encountered were sort of canaries in the coal mines of American society. They were an early warning sign of a style of thinking that has only grown more common in the years since 9-11 alienated, enraged, and not just irrational, but anti-rational. Oh, see, that was my mistake. Producer Ryan has so few creative outlets. (laughs) The mere mention of a song earns its place in the bump tune rotation. All right, so uh, this fellow named James B. Meggs, M-E-I-G-S, he was the uh, the former editor of Popular Mechanics, and uh, he now he hosts a podcast called How Do We Fix It? But he wrote a big piece for nine or for the uh, CityJournal.org on nine eleven, or right before nine eleven, I should say, and talked about how the nine eleven truther movement was a harbinger of today's politics. He says. Uh, fantasy, he, he says that it was, uh, uh, it was a harbinger uh, of a thing that has only grown more common in the years since, which is alienated, enraged, and not just irrational, but anti-rational style of thinking. 
He says, today, fantasy universes abound in our current political culture. On the far right, capital storming QAnon, right? They imagine vast deep state conspiracies involving pedophiles and pizza parlors. The left's conspiracy theories are not as obviously bonkers, but progressives also imagine powerful forces that secretly conspire against the people. In her 2007 book, The Shock Doctrine, for example, Naomi Klein introduced the concept of disaster capitalism, a kind of global plot to exploit the powerless and promise to reveal the puppet strings behind the critical events of the last four decades. Today, the woke left routinely portrays American institutions as engines of cleverly concealed depression. Racism, sexism, and the like are not just biases to be overcome, but fundamental organizing principles of American society. He says, one day I opened the New York Times, I saw a full-page advertisement for a book called Painful Questions. The ad suggested that we hadn't been told the truth about 9-11 and offered a list of factual claims that supposedly refuted the conventional account of the attacks. And like one of them was that jet fuel doesn't burn at temperatures high enough to melt steel, right? And so the whole, another one was the hole in the Pentagon wasn't big enough for a commercial jet. And so like I thought, like as popular mechanics, like the book's claims sounded doubtful, but pretty easy to confirm or disprove You know, how hot does jet fuel burn? How big a hole does a Boeing 757 make in a reinforced concrete building? These were questions very much in the wheelhouse for a magazine called Popular Mechanics, right? Every conspiracy theory ultimately rests on a handful of claims about physical reality. So what if we put together a team of reporters and simply fact-check the most common claims made by 9-11 conspiracy theorists? If the factual assertions were wrong, then the elaborate theories built on them were wrong, too. But on the other hand, if they were uh, even given a grain of truth in any of these claims, well, then what would be more vital to investigate? So they put eight reporters onto this, and uh, they kept it focused on technical questions. They made it non-political, and for the next few weeks, the reporters interviewed experts. They reviewed the documents. They talked with eyewitnesses. In every case, they found that the conspiracy advocates' claims were based on evidence that was inaccurate, misinterpreted, or deliberately falsified. In February of 2005, the cover story, Debunking 9-11 Myths, hit the newsstands. We braced for the blowback. When we started the project, he said, we actually imagined that some conspiracy buffs might be pleased that a mainstream outlet was finally taking their questions seriously. But by the time we finished, we had learned conspiracy theories respond to factual refutation much the way the human immune system reacts to a foreign substance by trying to destroy or absorb the unwelcome intruder. Almost overnight, my staff and I weathered the most inflammatory accusations that we were a CIA front, that we were a tool of the Illuminati, that we were an agent of the Mossad. We had launched the project with the belief that facts matter and people of goodwill could review the evidence and make up their own minds. And that did turn out to be the case for a lot of readers, but not for all. The appeal, he says later on in this piece, the appeal to a shared sense of reality didn't work with hardcore conspiracy fans. Quite the opposite. Dedicated conspiracists use a whole suite of techniques to dismiss inconvenient facts. They will vilify opponents with personal attacks. Um, they um, 
refuse to engage with legitimate evidence. They zero in on a handful of anomalies that they think undermine the mainstream narrative. For example, uh, a single eyewitness's mistaken impression, that becomes definitive proof against the weight of hundreds of other eyewitness accounts. Michael Shermer uh, is a columnist at Scientific American. He calls this approach argument by anomaly. You may have heard me talk about that before. Argument by anomaly. This one, this one account of one person who may be wrong, and probably is, but their one account is different than all these other people. And so, if you want to believe what you want to believe, then you adopt the anomaly. You say, ah, that one person got it right, and all those other people got it wrong. Um, he goes on to say, instead, the defter theory, uh, theorists pivot. They pivot. They begin arguing, like, for example, on the, uh, uh, the missile claims, right? He says, popular mechanics reporting showed that even the supposed anomalies relied on falsehoods. But given that the truthers, uh, or uh, but that gives truthers rather little pause. If a claim becomes too troublesome, they simply abandon it and move on to a new, even flimsier assertion. For example, they eventually dropped the contention that a missile and not an airplane hit the Pentagon. There were just too many pictures <laughs> showing right, pieces of American Airlines Flight 77 scattered around the impact zone. Instead, they pivot. They begin arguing not only that the missile claims were wrong, but that Phony conspiracy theorists had planted them in order to make the truther movement look bad. That beca- and, I, and I have encountered, I have had, in the years past, I had numerous arguments with truthers sitting in this very chair. And this, I would notice the same thing. He says, if all else uh, fails, conspiracy theorists neutralize contradictory evidence by simply expanding the orbit of their theories. If a magazine like Popular Mechanics points out facts that demolish your theory... You just declare the magazine as part of the conspiracy. Now, after you do that, you can ignore all of the facts that they present because they're all part of the cover-up. So under that truther logic, anybody who doubts the conspiracy narrative is ipso facto on the side of the cabal. And in this way, conspiracy theorists are like Marxists or members of a cult, which is kind of the same thing. Um, Their worldview is immune to refutation. Today's woke left employs a similar kind of unfalsifiable logic, like Robin D'Angelo and her book White Fragility, which claims that to doubt one's own racism is proof of racism. If you are called a racist and you get offended by that, that is proof you're a racist in Robin D'Angelo's world. It is immune to self or is it is immune to refutation. It has an unfalsifiable logic. This is the hallmark of the woke left now. And it's the thing that it shares in common with all good conspiracy theories. Right? I'll finish this up again. This is at uh, cityjournal.org by James Meggs. James Meggs. He's a co-host of a podcast, How Do We Fix It? And uh, he's a former editor of Popular Mechanics. He was in charge of the magazine when it did its big... Um, report its expose basically and, and fact checking on all of the 9-11 truth or uh, myths. It was called debunking 9-11 myths. And um, he says for more than half a decade, my team and I were among the very few mainstream journalists aggressively challenging the truth or narrative. Each installment of the investigation prompted supportive coverage from conservative media, including Fox news, 
but relatively grudging interest from mainstream or liberal outlets. The attacks of 9-11 were arguably the most important event in the lifetimes of most Americans. Why wasn't the mainstream media more interested in correcting the growing flood of misinformation about that event? Later on, he says, eventually I developed a few thoughts about why the liberal media was lukewarm towards our work. First, it's important to remember that 9-11 conspiracy theories were mostly embraced on the far left at that point. George W. Bush was in the White House. Anti-war sentiment was strong. Few liberal leaders and media figures actively promoted the theories, but few also saw them as a problem worth criticizing. Uh, David Korn from The Nation, now over at Mother Jones, was a notable and rare example. Uh, or exception, rather. When popular mechanics waded into the discussion, some on the left, the mainstream left, were bemused, he says. We must have some kind of political agenda. Were we trying to defend the White House? Why would we want to help them? This was the moment I realized journalism was changing. The even-handed search for truth, rarely achieved in practice, was fading even as a journalistic aspiration. Now, every set of facts must serve a political purpose. If it wasn't helpful to the left, it must be helpful to the right. Where journalists once obsessed over the accuracy of facts, now they worried more about their utility. If some piece of information helps the wrong sorts of people, maybe it's best left unpublished. Last year, we saw the logic carried to a new extreme. When virtually all major media outlets refused to cover the revelations contained in Hunter Biden's laptop, or to explore evidence that COVID-19 may have escaped from a lab in Wuhan, China. So with few exceptions, the media mostly gave the 9-11 truthers a pass. That was one factor helping this minor cult become a mass movement, and another was the Internet. Loose change became an Internet blockbuster. But even before loose change, a few prominent Democrats had begun catering to the truther cohort. Howard Dean, Van Jones... Georgia Representative Cynthia McKinney, filmmakers Kevin Smith and David Lynch, Alec Baldwin, progressive radio stations, including New York's WBAI and L.A.'s KPFK, started giving away loose change DVDs during their fundraising drives. These are public radio stations, progressive radio stations. Vanity Fair published a gushing profile of the filmmakers. Mark Ruffalo, Roseanne Barr, Martin Sheen, Woody Harrelson, Rosie O'Donnell. Spike Lee, the left-wing indulgence of the truther movement, obscured a strange fact. Much of the original source material for the theories actually came from ultra-right-wing activists. Skipping ahead, again, it's a very lengthy piece here. The leftists who amplified the truther narratives probably believed they were undermining the hated Bush administration. But they were also nudging their followers along a path towards the worst sort of neo-fascist propaganda. Those who went all the way down that rabbit hole, as millions of Americans did, wound up in an ideological jungle where far-left and far-right politics became almost indistinguishable. It's a place where the U.S. democratic system is a cynical sham, where true power is held by a merciless, secretive cabal, and where Israel is the world's eternal villain. So while progressives either ignored it or cheered it on, the truther movement was evolving into a kind of gateway drug for paranoid extremism. It's not just 9-11. Research shows once you accept one conspiracy theory, you're way more likely to embrace others. It's a sort of creed. Jonathan Kay, 
uh, interviewed by the Rolling Stone. He says, quote, it's the idea that there is a secret power in the world that cannot be changed by elections, that it has evil motivations and it's trying to destroy our way of life. Many of the websites that promote 9-11 conspiracy theories also push the notion that the CIA created the crack epidemic, that Bush stole the 2000 election uh, thanks to the hacked Diebold voting machines, uh, that the world economy is going to collapse due to peak oil. Not surprisingly, surveys show a belief in conspiracies correlates strongly with anti-vaccine sentiment. Once people dip their toes in the conspiracy waters, they have fewer defenses against all kinds of misinformation. For one thing, they have no other trusted sources of information they can turn to. This is what I was talking about earlier, by the way, uh, about the the lack of faith and the destruction of trust in our institutions. The conspiracy-minded people, according to Jonathan Kay, this author, says people come to see the world as presented by the mainstream media and other institutions as a counterfeit hoax. And once you see the world that way, you can't unsee it. This is why, by the way, the critical race theory stuff is so dangerous because it incorporates these attitudes. But also, I was reading a, uh, some comments from a guy who spends basically uh, all his life now, his professional life, um, uh, debunking cri- and arguing against critical race theory. And one of the things he talked about was how he's become so immersed in the ideology, he sees it everywhere now. And he opposes it, but he sees how easily it is for you to automatically adopt that prism by which to view all things. And it's super destructive. All right, Brett Winterbull, coming up next. Stick around. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. I'll chat with you tomorrow. Don't break anything while I'm gone. (laughs) 